0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. Nick Jankoff just here, taking you through another little solo episode uh, where we're going to discuss what I'm calling the N equals 1 theory. Now, ultimately, this has been kind of an overarching principle of ours uh, here at Mets Performance, particularly uh, in the lab, but also has flowed into the way we go about our coaching and training programs and, and consulting to athletes. Um and uh, I want to take you through, I guess, the importance of it and why we sort of follow this approach. And this is kind of just putting a, a label and a bit of a fancy title to to how we've always gone about things. And we, we haven't necessarily, um, we haven't, we're not doing anything different. This is just kind of labeling or naming uh, what we've always done and, and the approach we take to endurance performance and working with athletes. Um, but where, where this sort of comes from, what, what does N equals one mean? Well, it basically gets its basis from, and the way I think about it is whenever you read a literature, piece of literature, so a scientific paper that's been published in a journal, um, that it was investigating a particular thing, whether it was a training intervention, whether it was just looking at population data and some physiological testing or... Anytime you read an official published piece of research, um, when you look at that that study, if you scroll through, you read the introduction, you get to the method section. So, what did they do, and what were the protocols they were trying to test for, or, or look at the the differences between a group who had an intervention and that who didn't, a control group. They always refer to the number of participants in the study or the number of subjects in the study as n equals however many. So, if there was 25 people uh, who were recruited for that research study, it would come up as n equals 25, um, and then they usually exclude people from out of that. And w- what this is just showing you, and and quite often when we look at research, the bigger the the bigger the subject pool, um, the more we can take the insights. Um, or whatever the conclusions drawn from that research study, the results, the more applicable they are to a wider population, the bigger the N equals number is. So if we have uh, an elite athlete study, quite often you'll see those ones are like N equals 5 or N equals 10. There's small numbers because it's a really hard population to get a hold of people who are willing to do the research side of things and set aside time out of their training weeks and competing at a high level to to engage in those research tasks because it might be restrictive of their training or their diet or whatever they might be doing. Um, and it's not always optimal for their performance because at the end of the day, those elite and professional athletes, um, th- that's their job to, to perform. So the research is nice, but if it's not conducive to their their overall performance on race day, then it's, then it's not ideal. Um, but in population studies, you can quite often see much larger numbers. You might see uh, if it's a research study looking at a particular, um, something that we've been involved in uh, and doing some consulting for is a particular supplement, for example, uh, we might have N equals 150, uh, of which there's 150 people recruited 75 get placebo 75 get uh, the supplement uh, they're not told which one they've got over that period of time. We test, they go away, they they take the supplement, they come back, they retest, and, and can we find uh, is there any benefit of taking the supplement over not taking it, for example? A um, bit easier to do for that because we're looking at general population. So uh, for the most part, uh, we can narrow it down to people who are reasonably active. And you sort of get the gist of where I'm going here in terms of uh, it just gives you uh, an idea of what the population size is. But at the end of the day, from a research perspective, um, what we're trying to answer is a question A very specific question, and then how can we translate that to a broader circumstance? Um, The difficulty with that in a research space is there's a lot of controls put in place so we can narrow down and look at one very specific thing. But we know intuitively that this isn't super uh, conducive to the real world. And I'll put that in in inverted commas in terms of uh, what the real world actually means. By all means, the research is really, really important. And I'm not sort of putting down uh, the, the importance of literature and, and academics and their role in terms of um, looking to find the answers to, to why things happen. But what we look at from a MET's perspective and what we talk about in this podcast, we come from the applied side of things. Like I, I see myself as, yes, a sports scientist, but like more of a practical or applied sports scientist. and and again when i say i work in the real world i don't work i work in a lab but i don't work in a in a lab that is all right we're controlling for all these factors i work in a in in a lab that we're looking at well this athlete's coming in they're they're training for a marathon or a 70.3 or an iron man or whatever the race is but they've also got these complicating factors of they've got to go to work at nine to five and they're limited on their training time so athlete a that comes in uh, at nine o'clock might be running training for melbourne marathon and they can train eight hours a week, but athlete B who comes in at, at 10.30 in the morning same day is also training for Melbourne Marathon, but they can train 14 hours a week. Um, these are these are circumstances that that would, if you try to apply the exact findings of a research study, you're going to get variability in the applied space on, on how that translates and how effective those findings from the research translate because we've got such individual difference. Which brings me back into why we're talking about N equals one. And that approach really comes down to I look at each individual athlete or person that comes into the lab for testing or we, we coach as their individual research study, if you like. We're, we're investigating and looking at what are the specifics of your performance. Yes, we can pull on the information we know from these population um, studies and looking at all the different components of physiology, et cetera, that we've learned through the research process. Like I said, that absolutely takes a, a key uh, uh, forms a key role in that whole process overall but we're looking at each individual for what they specifically need and ultimately what works for them and what doesn't. Because in some some circumstances, different subtleties in the training interventions, and, and quite often different subtleties in the training interventions, should I say, will affect the outcomes of how that athlete improves or not. Like the same blanket program, if you gave it to 10 different athletes, um, they were all training for marathon at different different levels. You gave them all the identical program and you didn't touch anything you would see varying results uh if you then made some slight adjustments we're now starting to specify those results based on the individual and and those slight adjustments are are something as simple as well here's some refined training zones instead of you all going out and running uh, at the same pace we're all going to go out and run our zone to a five minute k pace those same 10 athletes like let's vary that according to what your specific ability is that's already refining in the constraints to the individual um you might give them the blanket program and come out with with some improvement across the board where are we more likely to get that improvement when we refine it down so that's all i'm really talking about here with this n equals one theory is just looking in the context of that individual because there is such individual variation because of all those other external factors and a lot of a lot of the listeners of this podcast who are, who are athletes themselves or maybe coaches would understand that in the field and in this applied setting Um, we we have so much variability that we can't control for in a research laboratory like it's it's perfectly fine to control for that we can we can make sure that people are very strict on exactly what they do um, throughout a process and we can do that to an extent through training programs and that in the in the applied space but there's just things we can't control for like COVID's a perfect example like we we go into 2020 thinking that we're going to have another exciting training year for endurance and we can't control for the fact that athletes in melbourne were stuck inside except for one hour per day and you could only go five k's away from your house in metro melbourne like that is a clear constraint that we have to put on um, each individual athlete and then the individual cases are going to be different in terms of how they want to use that time how like do they want to use that time for family time to get outside and walk around or do they want to use that as training time i mean these are these are the things that that make up that n equals one so it ultimately becomes super useful when we're talking about Uh, the individual because at the end of the day uh, we're not looking at well. did like i mean it'd be great if if all the athletes that came through the lab in a year saw saw improvements i mean that's what we strive for but at the end of the day like athlete a doesn't necessarily care that athlete b improved athlete a cares that athlete a improved um and at the end of the day as well it's like applying direct um direct conclusions from a literature uh piece of literature or the the research a, a published paper um that's great but most athletes just care about going faster being able to run for longer hold power better um pb their race whatever it might be they're they're not they're not too concerned uh about some of them are very interested and most listening to this podcast would be very interested in what the research has to say but ultimately that's our end outcome that's the thing that we strive for is we want to see athletes improve and be better endurance athletes overall um whether that perfectly aligns with findings in research or not. That's a, that's a slightly different question. Um, I'd be be—I'm much more interested, particularly if I put my coaching hat on for a second in my my athletes winning races or podiuming or, or getting a PB and, and, and significantly PBing that event than whether or not the training intervention exactly aligned with the literature and we saw the same outcomes. I mean, I, I want to tweak things to make sure it works for that individual person. So that's really the basis and backing of what this N equals one theory is. Um, and sort of why we've sort of followed it as a philosophy and i just want to give some examples and specific examples of how we apply it at Mets, and where you might have seen it if you've someone if you're somebody who's come in the lab if you're somebody who followed us on uh, social media for quite some time listen to the podcast maybe cope being coached by us before um or, or you've been or you're sort of looking at the stuff that we're doing and, and you sort of maybe wanting to come in and see us Um, what does this actually look like in practice and what are some practical examples of how we go about this approach and the first one that comes to mind is uh, as of recording this podcast um, yesterday uh, was a a day where I had uh, Mitch Kibbe professional triathlete come in the lab do some testing and the n equals one approach for him was we did a very very gradual ramp test and we started exceptionally low wattage for him 120 watts is is almost getting to the point on the bike where it's difficult to ride it's that easy Um, but we did it very specifically that we wanted to ramp up very very slowly and over quite a long period of time so he's end test protocol uh, for the the sub-maximal ramp uh, we did vo2 later but we did a sub-maximal ramp first to get some very very precise data leading into his upcoming racing we wanted to know exactly what his blood lactate was each 20 watt increment all the way up through through Ironman pace and estimated Ironman pace, and all the way through to seventy point three pace. Um, that's an adjustment in our typical protocol. Like most of the most of the time, we like to use, and we've talked about this before. We like to use a three minute ramp test because it gives us a best of both worlds. We get a pretty good VO two max and some pretty good blood lactate data. Very practical, very usable for the the typical athlete that we work with. But in this case, we we were looking for something very very specific, so we we applied a very specific test protocol that was going to allow us to investigate specific to Mitch, the exact information we needed. And that's what we got. We got some really good high quality data. Um, do we need to do that protocol all the time? Well, maybe not. We, if we, we then switched over and said, well, we're gonna take a bit of a break. Now we just wanna look at VO2 max. How are we gonna get there? Well, we started the intensity way, way higher, ramped up really quickly, and we got there in about six minutes. So we've now got two test protocols that are gonna lead to building out all of the numbers we need in terms of training zones and updating um, some training intensities and target paces, etc. cetera. Um, it's this N equals one approach. It's like, what does he need that's very, very specific? Now we're talking about a professional triathlete in this circumstance. So those test protocols need to be very much refined. And to be honest, we don't test in the lab uh, that often. Um, The last time I tested Mitch was a a number of months ago, end of last year. Um, It's hard because he races so often and so frequently. That is his job at the end of the day is to race quite frequently. Um, That's how he earns part of his living. So we need to take the opportunities we can when we can get him into the lab to to get these very precise numbers that we need for basically now like we're talking about he's racing Geelong in the upcoming Port Macquarie then going to go over to Europe we need numbers for that's very specific for this part in time now um and we already have a pretty good idea of most of the things we're just trying to refine the final one percent but if I flip that over to a couple of guys who came in uh, during the week so um George and Ian are both runners um or did running tests George is actually a triathlete but both did running tests on the same day um completely different training goals but they went through the same protocol they both went through the, the typical three minute ramp test that we go through um, gradually increasing by one k an hour every three minutes taking blood lactate looking at oxygen consumption all the stuff that we've been doing time and time out the n equals one a- approach for them though is starting them at very different intensities george we started at about 12 k an hour because that's much more appropriate for where he's at five minute k pace that's very very easy for him but for ian Five minute K pace is is pretty much threshold and actually starting to head towards just above threshold. And there's nothing wrong wrong with that and it there's it doesn't necessarily mean someone's better better or worse than the other. What we're looking at here is the same on the same day we did the same protocol overall, we just started at individualized pacing appropriate to that athlete. It's not it's not very conducive to George's preparation to go through and start at six kilometres per hour and we ramp all the way up. Um, all the way up through to he got about 18 k's now at the end of his test that's not necessarily that uh, that conducive to getting the most useful data for where he's at right now and it, it's it's overkill data and ultimately that test is excessively long uh, for what he needs to do because he's going and racing um, next week as well throughout some shorter triathlon racing uh, it's not that appropriate um, we just don't need that long length of time um, we, we just need what is the best snapshot of where we're at right now and what's going to give us the best bang for buck in terms of a test protocol. Um, but ultimately, anything less than sort of five-minute K pace isn't really going to tell us much. We know it's going to be very easy, active recovery style intensity. We, we don't need to... like the, the numbers we would get there aren't really going to tell us a lot um, in that circumstance. So there's another indication of we, we do that on a daily basis. Every person that comes into the lab to do a VO2max and lactate analysis... Um, sometimes might start at the same intensity as someone else but that's just a byproduct of the conversations we have with them about what are their abilities what are some of the numbers they're hitting in training what's appropriate because we're not just going in then and and creating a test protocol to just follow some confirmation bias and what I mean by that is just go through and show All right, in five minutes we have a conversation with you we find a couple of key points about what you're doing in training and we we test that and we confirm those numbers sometimes that happens sure but what we're also trying to establish, though, is what what is an appropriate starting point? I mean, we don't want you to start too fast because we'd have blood lactate rise really, really rapidly and we'd, we'd get some horrible numbers and you probably fatigue really quick. We don't want to start too low because we don't want the length of the test to be a fatiguing factor um, before you actually hit a genuine threshold, VO2 max, et cetera. Um, we, we want to get best bang for buck there, but really it does it does come down to as well. It's like, well, what, what's actually going to tell us the most useful information for where you're at okay if you've been running your your long runs at five minute k pace currently um we're going to start probably a little bit lower than that anyway because i want to confirm that that's actually an appropriate spot when we go through and we do the test we download the data we have a look and we we then establish that hey five minute k pace might be actually a bit too quick it feels comfortable but here's the reasons in the data and and the trends in the data that we're seeing that as to why it, it probably is a little bit too fast or the other way Hey, five minute k probably is a little, little slow. Like you probably pick it up a little bit. These are the types of things we can find. So adjusting that test protocol relative to the individual is gonna give us the best, most appropriate, most usable data right now. Yes, it's not uh, that, uh, that applicable to, if we tried to turn every, every person who came in the doors for a lab test into a research study participant, it's it's going to be a mess because we're all starting at different intensities, but that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is find the information that the athlete needs to be able to get them to improve. That's how I said at the beginning. And that's what this N equals one approach is all about. A couple of other examples. Um, Recently, and we're actually gonna put up a bit of a blog post on this in the not too distant future around some swimming VO2 max data. Really interesting working with Zach, uh, one of the triathletes I coach. Um, we went down to the pool and using some VO2 equipment, some very clever protocols, and I'll, I'll talk about this more in the blog, blog post, but we want to look at some swimming data. We want to look at what is his oxygen consumption like in the pool from a VO2 max perspective. We then went and tested some wetsuit, uh, wetsuit styles, some new wetsuits that he might uh, consider racing in, how much more economical do they make him compared to a non-wetsuit and a mid-range versus an elite wetsuit? Um, what what are the what are the differences there? Because there's some differences in the flexibility of them, the stretch of the suit, the, the buoyancy amount, etc. cetera. Um, again, very specific. Like there there isn't much going on in the VO2 max testing space in swimming in general because it's a hard thing to do. And we weren't measuring his oxygen consumption as he was swimming. We were looking at it in the immediate rest period. And again, I'll get into the reasons why in that blog post, but... Um, ultimately we're looking at very very specific information and for Zach the swimming component of his his performance is something we really really are striving to improve drastically he's a fantastic cyclist he can run all day his swim is something he he definitely admits himself is we just got to keep chipping away and getting that swim up and up to make him even more competitive and make him a real a real danger in the field for his competitors um he's already an incredibly fast racer if you've listened to the podcast uh you you would have noticed that zach is the one that we we spoke to over that couple of part series uh, around his development over the last few years and this incredible process we've seen him go from uh getting into the sport of triathlon to being an absolute gun uh, very very top end age group athlete and an unbelievable athlete um it's the type of thing that this, this N equals one approach, we apply it in this circumstance. What is the information that is gonna get us that extra little benefit? We've ticked off a lot of a lot of things that we can in the pool, but what is one thing that we're still missing? Well, we're still missing heart rate data. We're still missing VO2 data. Like, how does that compare to your bike and run? Like, are we well under, are we well over? Is it the same? Um, what is that translating to? Are there anything, is there any insight that we can get from that, that it's gonna unlock a, a physiological component in the pool? Because yes we know we need to work on technique because he's not a swimmer he doesn't come from a swimming background but is there anything in the meantime that we can keep topping up and and changing and manipulating that that's going to give us some additional insight in terms of what percentage of vo2max is he holding over a uh, 400 meter time trial or over a 70.3 pace for example Um, how does that relate to what percentage of vo2max he's holding on the bike uh, comparatively to those numbers like so some extra little bits of, of insight, these extra one, 2% that's going to get us uh, the extra bits we need. And the final example I'm going to give here of an N equals one is is another guy I've been coaching and, and doing some training program for. Um, Ray Ray's a, a triathlete. Again, 70.3 age group athlete. And where the N equals one really comes into the equation for him is in the periodization side of things so we've talked a lot about testing in in the the previous examples but this one's now moving more into the programming space of um due to some family commitments for for him and and how his uh life operates in terms of incorporating uh he's got quite a physical working working job he then wants to train uh, for 70.3 iron man um he's got different family commitments like most of us do like there's this juggling active things What it means though for him is that the traditional periodization approach of like block-based periodization, so a couple of weeks of building, we might have two or three weeks building and then a deload week. For him, uh, that's just not the most uh, doable, I guess, process each week. What it actually means for him is we kind of follow a one week up. So we have a really solid training week and then we kind of have a half week up to follow that. And then the weekend is a down week. That, that's just what works him best for his ability to be able to juggle all those commitments uh, at once. And then we come back and we have another big week again. So how we distribute load throughout the week is very, very tailored. It's a bit of an unusual approach. Is it textbook? Is it literature perfect? Not at all. Um, I doubt much of, the, much of the research would even even have an approach uh, looking at something similar like this that, that's been researched to show it is effective, but what we're working with is very specific constraints around his training. And we ultimately just have to find ways to get the load in. And so what we've noticed is that using this more fortnight based structure of, of sort of, I guess, really 10 days of, of solid work. And then we sort of have a couple of, a couple of lighter days and that serves as a bit of a deload. So every two weeks he's getting a bit lighter weekend, for example, and then we come back and we have a bit more aggressive weekend. This is just the way it When I say the way it has to be, like we can't, I I can put the training in there for a weekend where he's not able to get much in and we know he's not going to be able to get much training in. It's not going to change his commitments elsewhere in life because at the end of the day, those things are just as important, if not potentially sometimes more important than his training. Um, He loves his training. He's a fantastic endurance athlete. He's been awesome to work with. I've I've loved coaching him over the last little while. But these are the tweaks and adjustments you have to make. And and again, it comes down to like some of these things we're discussing here. They aren't necessarily textbook perfect, but what they're, what they're ultimately doing is answering these very specific questions. So the overarching principle of each person being their own research study, that that's what we're really doing. And we're just investigating and helping athletes find the answers to the questions that are relevant to them. A lot of the time, some of those questions and and the, are appropriate answers to those questions will cross over to other athletes absolutely but it's these individual differences here and there when we're manipulating test protocols when we're um when we're adjusting the type or style of testing are we testing in a different format like we do with the swim or are we changing uh the the style of what what we might do and cool we commonly accept three weeks up one week down is a perfect periodization structure for most most athletes and it's a very basic one and it and it it has been proven to work time and time again but it's not always conducive to building the best environment for that specific athlete so what is more appropriate is two up one down and more appropriate is having a block of four up one down and a bit a bit of overreaching heading into an aggressive taper period is that more appropriate at a point in time and for a particular athlete like there's so many different individual variances and this is where in a bit of summary, if you like, this N equals one is is kind of an overarching theory of ours an overarching principle that we like to follow. And and I think putting a bit of a title on it probably hypes up its importance a little bit, but this is how we've always operated. And hopefully you've, you've established that through listening to this podcast and, and following us on, on social media and things like that and, and engaging in the testing. If you've come into the lab before, um, like we very much tailored to when you walk in, it's here's, here's how we're we going to obtain the information you need and then here is the information you need to get better um th- that that can't be any more uh, it, it, we just try to get as specific as we can we, we don't want it to be we don't want it to be generic and it, and it shouldn't be generic we, we live in the applied practical practical world and practical space um research as i said serves its purpose and is fantastic and we need to we need to support the things that we're doing by um, the clear evidence of what works and and what hasn't worked in the past, but we also need to be willing to to hone in and go. Let's maybe try something. Let what can we what can we tweak and change here that's going to optimize for you? And let's monitor that over a period of time. Let's get a little bit experimental. Um, it, we're not going and doing crazy things, but what is specific to that individual uh, that's how i how i've always thought about sport performance particularly individual sports and particularly endurance performance um, and it's how we've always operated here so hopefully that gives you a bit of an insight in terms of some some background of, of how we go about things and and how we're sort of thinking about things and puts a bit of a label on the the approach that we use let us know your thoughts as always. Always great to hear from you in terms of some feedback on these podcast episodes. Uh, you can get in contact with, with me specifically at nick at metsperformance.com by email or send us a message on our social media channels at Mets Performance on Instagram. is a really easy way to get in contact with us. Uh, as always, any recommendations for podcast episodes or guests you'd like to hear from on the Physiology Secrets podcast, let us know. But I'm going to wrap it up there. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, this one another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast, and we'll catch you in the next one. Cheers.